when a normal person finds themselves in a rut, they climb up out of it. An alcoholic will furnish it. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Tally-ho, chops and chapettes. That was the voice of Mr. Bill C. on this here episode number 173 of Sober Speak that you heard at the beginning of this episode, and you will be hearing so much more from him and just Un momento. But first things first. This episode, episode number 173, is brought to you by Joshua, Chris, Annalie, Christina, and Tanya. Do you know what Joshua, Chris, Annalie, Christina, and Tanya did? Well, just in case you are new to Sober Speak, let me tell you what they did. They went to our website www.soberspeak.com. They clicked on the little PayPal tab and they made a, a donation. Thank you so much, Joshua, Chris, Annalie, Christina, and Tanya. This episode is coming right out to Ewan's. I, John M., just another, by the way, bozo on the bus will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table, and let's get started. By the way, I do want to mention this. Uh, I used to use that little term, uh, I'm just another bozo on the bus, way back in the beginning of this uh, podcast uh, startup, or yeah, this podcast startup. And my friend Jim recently reminded me through email that it had been a while since I used that actual term. So I wanted to go ahead and throw that in there. And thank you, Jim, for the reminder. In fact, I used to, back when I first started this, when you sign up to do a podcast and and you're giving all your information to to Apple iTunes and all, all the various what they call directories that 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 broadcast these podcasts. Hey, that rhymes. When you do that, they you have to put in what is called an author name. Most people put in their uh, their first name and their last full in in their full last name. Well, I put on mine just another bozo on the bus. But what happened is 
Apple and some other people started throwing people out of their directories if they didn't follow particular rules. Like, you know, they basically they thought people were gaming the system by putting too many keywords in there for a search and all that sort of stuff. So I had to take out Bozo on the bus and use my just traditional name, John M. So anyway, that's just a little history. You probably don't care too much about that, but that actually did happen at one time. Keep in mind, folks, this is a podcast where you do not have to social distance yourself that six feet apart from us. In other words, you get your earbuds, you get your speakers, you put them right up next to those little ears and listen on in. We do not expect you to socially distance. And keep this in mind also, that you do not have to and are not expected to socially distance from that higher power. He is right inside you. And as I said last week, like it says in the big book, one of my favorite lines in the big book, we drew near to him and he disclosed himself to us. So wherever you are today, if you could take time to pause and draw near to that higher power, it may be just what you need today. Now, oh, and if you are not in the super secret, the, the super secret Oh, Facebook group, send me your email <laughs> associated with your Facebook account to John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com. One of the items that we have posted, there's so much posted in there. There's so many people in there. Uh, you're going to enjoy it if you're a Facebook person. But nonetheless, um, uh, one of the things that we have posted in there is the Recovery Yoga, which is a free recovery yoga put uh, via Zoom, put on by Megan P, who has actually been on the podcast before. And inside the Facebook, you see the all the Zoom information that you need for that. Uh, and, it, and it starts on Sunday afternoons at 4 o'clock p.m. If Ewans want to join in with us, it is absolutely uh, a, a lovely thing. So, so here's what she does. And I've explained this before, but just in case you didn't hear or didn't catch it the first time. The first half of the meeting, uh, the first half of the hour, I should say, is a recovery meeting. You don't have to be an Alcoholics Anonymous or anything else. You just have to come in there. If you're interested in the 12 steps and experience a meeting, you can come in. That's the first half hour. The second half hour of it is a... Uh, yoga and meditation period. And it is so relaxing. And uh, I, I would recommend it for anybody. You don't have to know yoga. You just come on in and enjoy yourself and follow along with what Megan and some of the other instructors say, but it really is a cool thing. All right. Oh, and by the way, if you're not in the Facebook group and you st- and you need that information, in fact, I had some couple of other people write me today. They said, uh, "Hey, can you can you send me that that information, the flyer? Uh, we want to join, but we're not in the Facebook group." And I was able to send it on to them via email. John J O H N S Overspeak dot com. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we are on to a fan favorite. Within the sober speak realm, Mr. Bill C. Addressing one of the steps, step 11 in Alcoholics Anonymous. We discuss the concept of self-awareness versus self-obsession. 
mind reading and how dangerous mind reading can be. We talk about something Bill calls the second surrender, and that occurs sometime between what he says between eight and 12 years sober. We talk about a concept of, quote, the watcher, unquote. We talk about various meditation methods and how to find the one that's right for you. Uh, And we talk about the lesson that Bill learned from his friend that has OCD and how we can all apply that wisdom to our lives. We will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this episode. Enjoy, Bill, and I'll talk to you on the other side. Okay, everybody, so we are sitting here once again with Mr. Bill C. in Southern California. And you, where exactly are you in Southern California again? I'm in Torrance, Southwest LA, right along the coast. And your home group again is what? Hermosa, Hermosa Beach Men's Stag in Hermosa Beach, California, right next By the way... Do you go to uh, mixed meetings as well, at least in during non-COVID times, or do you mainly go to uh, stag meetings? Yeah, my, my normal meeting routine that I go to is stag meetings. We have a meeting that is in my house on Tuesday that's just men, and we have a step study on Wednesday that's just men. So mostly, but, you know, I, I, we do go to mixed meetings. We go to speaker meetings and stuff occasionally. I've- have you been able to continue those your those meetings inside your house during this time? It's all on Zoom. It's all on Zoom. Okay, gotcha. All right. So, by the way, I do have to say, <laughs> we started to record this moments ago, and we got about I don't know five ten minutes into it or whatever, and it kicked Bill off. And I noticed that the reason it kicked him off is because Moi had forgot to hit the record button and we came back on again. And Bill, what did you say? It's good to be working with a professional. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, let's go ahead and uh, uh, recap uh, what happened last time. By the way, you have been sober since March 27th of 1985. For those who may have not caught caught the last, I don't know, eight or so episodes that you've done with me. I don't know exactly how many you've done, but it's been quite a few and I really have appreciated it. I, 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 I know you know this because I send you the comments, but I have gotten so, so much feedback about what you have shared. Uh, not a, uh, that you've been able to share. I know I'm no, I'm not the only place where you give your story. Right. But it's so cool when I get to see the feedback and how you've affected people in all four corners of the world. And and I so much appreciate it. Last time we were together, uh, we spoke about a number of different um, uh, issues and topics We talked about uh, COVID at length and uh, being a speaker such as yourself uh, uh, in during these times and how you've been able to share your message in in Europe and the Middle East and uh, obviously all throughout the United States and areas where you would have not otherwise been able to share your message. 
We talked about powerlessness. And by the way, I want to tell you that the one thing, I think you call them the five spiritual truths, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, the one thing that has really stuck with me, I mean, they're all good, right? But the one that has really stuck with me is, you know, nothing, uh, nothing is ever personal. Uh, and for whatever reason, when you said that during our live event, that has stuck with me. I've, it's really gone around my head, even going to bed at night and thinking, you know, this is not personal. This is just life and life is moving on without me. Um, we talked about step 10. We talked about self-awareness uh, and compassion at length. That you really kind of focused on the self-awareness piece and about how really that was the whole essence of step 10. And uh, we kind of left it off at that. So is there anything else that you want to discuss regarding step 10 before we start to kind of move along here? Well, one of the things is self-awareness can be a very painful process. Um, This isn't something happy that you arrive at and go, oh, this is great. You know, I'm self-aware. That's not been my experience. I mean, I don't think that you really recognize that until you look back on it after the fact. Um, Self-awareness is like the the construct of who I think I am begins to collapse. This is this is painful. It's like Bill Wilson said in the 12 and 12, if I continue to do this, will I become the hole in the donut? Mm-hmm. Well, the truth is there's not even a damn donut, much less a hole. <laughs> like you hear people talk about, I had this God-sized hole that needed to be filled. There's no hole. There was never anything missing. Huh. What happens when you, when this realization begins to happen that, that I've been defending something that's not real, that this concept of who I think I am and the structure that I built around that to justify my behavior is no more. A lot of people run away from this, and it seems to happen in an in interesting time, somewhere between 8 and 12 years sober. This is a kind of a common, you'll hear this a lot. Some people call it the second surrender, right? Mm-hmm. You know, when do you get to the third one and the fourth one? <laughs> you know, because it doesn't end, right? This awareness continues. I mean, like everything else in nature, we evolve. And the more awake we are, the more selfless we become, the more we evolve. We change like everything else around us. Every, every fall, the trees, the trees lose their leaves. You don't see the trees trying to gather up the leaves and keep them, right? They let them go, right? Mm. They recycle back through and it starts all over again. I think the same is true for us. And we want to arrive somewhere and this is where we're going to be. And now we're, now we're cool. Well, that's not my life experience. I need to be flexible. I need to be, this is self-awareness where I can watch myself move through life. Now, the 11th step, so, and just real quick, because you've talked about that several times, and I really like that uh, thought process or that concept. You talk about being kind of outside yourself and watching yourself. Uh, talk to me a little bit more about that. I'm very interested in that. Well, it, it, you know, pause when agitated or doubtful. You know, I think, I think in the last session we talked about that a little bit. You know, it's like, am I actually going to say this to this person? You know, you develop the skill where you where you actually stop and say, well, wait a minute now, before I just arbitrarily do this, maybe I shouldn't do this, you know. Or on another occasion, you say, you know, I should insert myself into this thing. I've been avoiding this. I'm, I'm so too passive aggressive. I need to actually state my position, talk about how I really feel and, and confront that fear. 
of, of exposing yourself to somebody and then maybe they won't like you. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, this, you start seeing that this is the kind of stuff you do, you know, it's like, you hear funny things like you tell a newcomer, if you haven't spoken to that girl across the room, she is not your girlfriend. <laughs> we live in this fantasy world, right? I mean, we, we create reality that really isn't there. And some of it's pretty bad. Some of it's pretty stark and stunning, right? You know? Yeah. And if you've had enough experience working with guys over the years, you run into some pretty stunning fantasy world people live in. Right? <laughs> yes, you do. You realize that you understand that because you're kind of there too. Right. Maybe not as bad as Joe, but really close. You know, I, mean, <laughs> I kind of think I perceive things to be a certain way and they keep surprising me that they're not like that. <laughs> you know, like you realize that I do mind reading. You know, like when I'm in conflict with somebody, I'll start thinking about what it is that's motivating them to speak to me that way. How the hell can I possibly know what's motivating them? Mind reading is a character defect. Then you start, these things become real. You start seeing it. They're not just buzzwords you hear in meetings. It becomes real. And if you hang in there, if you're doing this work, you know, if you're in, the, in this process, you will be transformed. And this transformation isn't necessarily comfortable. So in the 10th step, it's a good tool to like, well, how am I doing? You know, how am I doing? You know, and my my thinking about this is here. Here you go. Here, here's the big caveat to this. In meditation, I can watch myself think. Right. I mean, I can sit and breathe and focus on my breath. And when you're doing that, you're absolutely in the present moment. Everything else shuts down, right? So the little ego, the one that presented itself at about two and a half years old, and now you've built it up to this creature that's older now and well-developed, right? It does not like being in the present moment. There is nothing for it to do. When you're in the present moment, that does not exist, right? So it will naturally, in and of itself, move away from that and start thinking about something else. And in meditation, you notice that that has occurred. This is the watcher. It's a real thing. It's not just airy-fairy, spiritual woo-woo crap that you read in some book somewhere. This is real blue-collar, anybody can do this. And you notice that your mind, your thinking mind, has wandered away from the present moment, from the breath. And you realize that, and you gently bring it back to the breath. This is a game changer. This is a game changer. When this becomes real in your life, you realize that I do not have to go where it wants me to go. Mm. Evidently, there is a choice as to whether I want to go where it's drifting off to. Now, you can give some practical explanation of why you shouldn't go there, right? It's thinking dark thoughts. It's the one that's telling me that I'm not good enough. It's the one that's telling me that people don't like me or whatever your unique little neurotic crap is, you know, whatever it's telling you, you, you know, well, I shouldn't go there. But what I'm telling you is it's not a matter of should or shouldn't. You don't have to go. I mean, there's a good reason not to go there, but logic doesn't necessarily apply, right? Because you go there anyway. Because you're comfortable. I love the old line that you hear. When a normal person finds themselves in a rut, they climb up out of it. 
an alcoholic will furnish it because it's, <laughs> you know, I mean, even if it's painful, it's my painful. I'm familiar with it. It's not scary. I know what's coming all the time. I'm, I'm comfortable sitting in my own crap. You know, this is, you know, that bitter morass of self-pity can be kind of warm and soothing, you know, and that's part of the alibi system, right? Isn't that? It's a part of the ego construct that you've come up with over the years that you've developed. And part of that is let's sit in the pain. Let's be uncomfortable. It's okay. It's familiar. Well, once you realize in this meditative process that you can watch yourself think and you don't have to go there, you can finally, this is the big deal here. You can stop working on yourself. You're just feeding the beast. It likes any kind of attention it can get, positive or negative. You, know, you don't even have to agree with it. You can have internal arguments. As long as you're paying attention to it, it's okay. And we do. We as human beings do a lot of paying attention to ourselves. We think about what we think about. It's like you know. It's like right. a constant thing. This is this isn't just alcoholics, by the way. This is the whole entire human race. You know, the feeling of separation when we had when we were a kid that we drank to relieve was it real? No, no. It's, it was never real. We're never separate. We can't be separate. So in the tenth step. By the way, I just want to stop there because one of the things that I have gotten from you and that has really rung true, uh, and, I, and I think about this also on a, on a very consistent basis, I always accepted, so to speak, what I heard in Alcoholics Anonymous, that we as alcoholics have different thinking, if you will. Uh, and that we process things in a different way. And, and to some respect, you know, I, I guess that is true. But we're, we're very similar, as I've heard you say, to those out there. Uh, the only difference is really is that we use alcohol to solve our issues. We, we like to think we have special thinking, you know. I think that's, that's the whole separation thing, right? What the ego does, we, we're different. We're a different group. It's like you'll hear people say alcoholics are above average intelligence. Well, you'll never hear that in an Al-Anon meeting. <laughs> That's just insane. You know, it's like, what are you talking about? Like people say, well, I'm a workaholic. Really? You know, I, I've met a few, but they're few and far between. Real workaholics, you know. We're just hiding out at work because we don't want to come home. That's not workaholism. That's staring at the wall. <laughs> I, I don't think that we're that profoundly more neurotic. I think what we are is emotionally immature, that we drank through those formative years and we missed all the lessons. And we walk into AA and we're going to grow up now. And the only way you can do that is through experience. You're going to have a series of experiences that you can now learn from because you're not asleep and you're paying attention. And mm -hmm. that's certainly been my path. You know, I showed up in AA at 37. I had the emotional development of a 16-year-old. You know, and, it, and it's been a long process of me growing up and being motivated by pure by self. You know, I don't know that I don't have compassion. I never had compassion. I don't know that there's anything missing. And I'm just a selfish, self-centered high school kid that looks like he's grown up. I think that's my primary problem. And hopefully today I'm a lot better than I was. I don't think that I'm that immature anymore. You know, I don't I, I'm not surrounded by chaos anymore. I'm not in a lot of fights with people. My relationships are pretty stable. You know, I mean, am I advanced? No, I'm just old. You know, you get tired. You get tired after a while. You, give up. 
Maybe you apply a philosophy to it because people ask you to speak. I mean, that's what's going on. You know? <laughs> I mean, but truly in the, in the 10th and 11th step, when I developed a real meditative process, at about 20 years sober, when I started getting sick, you know, and the liver disease was really hitting me and was on interferon and I'm going through the, the hep C treatments and then my liver failed. And I went through a long period of 10 years or more of being quite ill and a lot of hospital time and trying to keep moving, trying to keep going. And, and it was a painful process. In the middle of that, I started a real meditate. I, I was meditating with what I call intent, meaning that I need some help. I need spiritual help. The thing about Alcoholics Anonymous is it's not psychotherapy. It's not about behavior modification, although our behavior gets modified, but that's not the approach that it takes. It treats, treats the spiritual aspect of human nature, and then the physical and the mental follow that. Right. Okay, so there are people that are listening to this who may be going through some medical issues or just some hard times. They've not really experimented much with meditation. Can you talk about the practicality of like, for example, when you're going through those uh, through your liver transplant and hep C treatment and all that sort of stuff? What what happened to you as a result of meditation? Okay, there is the possibility of having peace in the eye of the storm. It isn't about eliminating problems. It's eliminating, if you will, attachment to the problems and, and attachment to who you think you are. And when you're in crisis, when something real happens, which happens to all of us, maybe somebody very close to you dies or is very ill and you have concerns about living your life without that person, that's a real issue, mm -hmm. a real thing. There's the ability in the midst of that crisis to be in the present moment, to be right exactly where you are and not projecting into the future about how awful it's going to be when that person is gone. That is a possibility. You can achieve that. Um, there were times where I was in the hospital where I was faith. I almost died. I almost died. And what I can report to you about that is I was not afraid. I was very disappointed, though. <laughs> I wasn't done being alive. I had some stuff I really wanted to do. You know, I mean, things, just adventure things. I want to do more scuba diving. I want to travel. You know, things. I, and, I, and I realized that this may not happen. You know, it may not exist. And I was concerned about my wife and concerned about people around me and, you know, all of that. I was disappointed and I didn't like what was going on, but there was a certain acceptance that this is what's happening. You know, this is what's happening and I better make the best of it, you know. Now, that's not a logical thought process. That's a spiritual position to be in. That doesn't mean that I behave well all the time. That isn't true. That's, that's not what it looks like when you're a real human being. But mostly throughout that process, I was fairly centered. You know, there, there was a time in the hospital after the surgery where I was incredibly uncomfortable. I mean, I had, I looked like death and I was completely bruised all over. I had big metal staples around me. I had a metal shunt coming out of my neck and the Christmas tree of things, people feed me stuff. And I was full of steroids and antibiotics and pain medication. And it was uh, incredibly uncomfortable. I couldn't roll around. I couldn't move, Right. And you're laying there in that bed and there's, you know, your bodily functions are out of control. I mean, it was just, it was absolutely awful. 
It was really awful. Mm. And one night, it's the middle of the night, probably three o'clock in the morning, and I thought, man, I got it. I am so uncomfortable. And I started meditating, and I realized that what I was trying to do is change the situation. <laughs> and at that point, you, this is self-awareness. You realize, well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and I really literally burst out laughing at myself. You know? And that relieved the tension. You know. So what I did after that is I started the meditation to relax into what was happening. Okay, so let's talk about the meditation piece, like the practicality. What did you have some skills before you went into the hospital? Was there something you were reciting? Were you listening to an app? How were you doing that? The meditation that I do, very simply, is I just close my eyes and I focus on my breath going in and out of my nose. And then when the mind wanders away, I gently bring it back to the breath. The other thing that happens is if there's sound, Right. If, if something like some people will talk about being in a meditative state and being disturbed by a sound like a leaf blower or a car driving down the street and it ruined their meditation. What I do, if there's a sound, whatever it might be, I just try to connect to it and not be resistant. The idea is to not resist whatever's happening, that that sound is in the present moment. And so anything that's in the present moment, I can attach to it. And I'm there in the present moment. You know, if, if, if there's a bird chirping, which is sweet, and I like that, or if it's a leaf blower, it's a present moment. All of us in the present moment. There is no, I live in the city. You know, there are sounds, right? You know, I can't create an artificial space. I want to be peaceful in the real world. What's happening right here, right now. We will be continuing our conversation with Bill C. in just a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at SoberSpeak.com. There you will find approximately 160 or so other episodes you can listen to for free. Uh, you can also find the donate button on our website, which you can use if and only if the spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right, now back to Mr. Bill C. All right, so it seemed to me before you went into the hospital. And, and this is what I'm trying to get at is there, there's people that are out there kind of trying to, okay, I understand what Bill said, and that sounds great. Do How do I learn to do that? Is it by listening to this podcast? Was there another place that you learned this from? How did you pick up that skill before actually going into the hospital? Well, I've been playing around with meditation the entire time I've been sober. You know, I, uh, early on in my sobriety and in, inside of five years, you know, I started listening to people like Baba Ram Das and going to hear lectures, and I hung out with him a little bit, you know, and uh, and people like that, you know, Alan Watts is one of my favorites, and I stood. People were handing me books. My sponsor was a big one about read this, read that. Here, try this, try that. He he likes to say, you know, you do spirituality or practices like that, like he did drugs. You know, take something and see if it works. Right. <laughs> That's kind of the thing. And and there's a lot of really interesting people out there, a lot of people talking. You know, 
non-conference approved literature is perfectly fine. You know, it's like I've read a lot of stuff over the years and people would say, hey, so-and-so is coming to talk. You want to go here? And so we'd run off and go listen to Adyashanti or whoever it is. You know, I mean, there's always been an interest and a curiosity in that. Uh, the Eastern stuff is attractive to me. It makes sense to me, you know, and uh, so I just have always pursued it, sometimes with vim and vigor and other times less so. So I played around with and what happened to me specifically about the meditative process. For a long time, I would get up in the morning and sit cross-legged on the floor in one spot, and that's all that ever happens is meditation in that spot and try to be disciplined with it. You hear that a lot. Be disciplined. Every Get up a little earlier. Give yourself time for some contemplation. Read some spiritual literature. Get quiet for three to five minutes. You know, that kind of a thing. Nothing heavy. It was simple stuff, you know. And then as time progressed, you, you try to get maybe 20 minutes or maybe 45 or, you know, sometimes. And, it, and you find that it's quite blissful. And it's, it really, there's a lot to it once you break through and, and you actually get used to sitting comfortably somewhere. But what would happen to me is if I missed a day, I would just quit. I'm just not disciplined. My nature is not to be like that. I'm not, you know, I'm ex-military. You know, I'm not that, that guy. You know, I have friends that are very much like that. I have absolutely nothing against it. But every time I tried to do it and then I failed and I'm, I'm lazy, essentially. So what happened at 20 years sober when I started getting sick, when I started getting really sick? And I talk about meditating with intent. I said, I need some, I need some spiritual support here. And it had been a long time at that point since I really meditated with any intent or with any regularity. And I, and I made a conscious decision. I need to do this. And I read The Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle. You know, my friend gave that to me. I read that book. And, it, you know, when the students ready, the teacher showed up. And he at the time, he was a new voice. This was new. It wasn't like you know him today. It was pretty new. And my friend Christoph gave me that book. And I and I read it on the plane going over to Hawaii to lead a spiritual retreat, believe it or not. And I had my bag of interferon with me and I was really sick and I wasn't very goddamn spiritual at all. You know, I was in turmoil and I was physically ill and, and I was trying to keep going. So I get there and I read that book on the airplane and it really resonated with me. And this is when I talk about egoic structure. That's a totally thing. You know, that's that's ripping him off, you know, specifically. And, I, and it made sense to me. I could see that, you know, the, the, the falsity of who I think I am and the pain of being stuck in it, of having to defend it and protect it and stuff. And by that time, I had kind of gotten there on my own. You know, I, I, re, I knew I was coming to that place. I didn't know that then, but I know now and I look back on it and I read the book and it really made some put things, made it clear to me. I really, it resonated, the pain body and you carry stuff forward and all of this stuff. It's an excellent book. And, and uh, what's the name of the book again? As that's Eckhart Tolle, right? Yeah, the power of now. You know, thank you. Very famous, popular, and it brought him into the public light. And anyway, so what I gave myself permission, I said, I need to start meditating. I need this is the kind of help I need. I need to separate myself from what's going on in the in the world, even what's happening to me. I need to find some internal peace. Peace in the eye of the storm, not to overcome my physical disease, you know, to pray it away and to heal myself. You know, I just can't. I don't buy into that. Maybe it's true, you know, but that wasn't what I was looking for. I just wanted to be at peace internally because I was in a lot of turmoil. 
So I gave myself permission not to be disciplined. You know, mm. don't be disciplined. Just do it every day, sometime during the day. Don't give yourself a time limit. Don't use a timer. You know, just do it. Do it. Be where you are, right here, right now. And and there's a lot of ways to meditate. You know, I used to ride bicycles competitively. And I got into that. And boy, you're on that bicycle. It's a meditation. You're right in the present moment. You got to pay attention. You're going to run into something. So you're right where you are. I drag raced for a long time for many years, you know, and I'm, I've gone 160 miles an hour in less than eight seconds, you know, and that'll get your attention in the fire <laughs> and the parachutes and the whole thing, you know, that's a meditation. You're in the present moment. That's where that is. You can't think about anything. You can't hear anything else, but the roar of that motor. So here I am in Hawaii up on a hillside and I'm meditating and I'm sitting on this bench and I'm asking for help. Please help me. Help me, please. You know, simple prayers. Relieve me of the bondage of self. And then just sit and breathe. Just breathe and follow my breath. And when it wanders away, come back to the breath. And there's a comfort in that. It's comfortable. Everything shuts down. All the out, all the trauma stops. Everything stops. Maybe only for a few seconds. But that's something, isn't it? I mean, something. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. You know, the more you like, then you, there's a feeling of comfort and safety there. And you don't have to go sim, somewhere, sit and be quiet. You can do it anywhere you are. The present moment has a feel and a texture to it. And when you spend enough time there, you know, you'll know what I'm talking about. And when you're not there, you notice that you're not there. You notice that you're in turmoil and you notice self-awareness, right? You notice that you're thinking, worrying about stuff that isn't present. It's not there. What if I lose all my money? Have you lost all your money now? Well, no. Then what are you worried about? You know, why are you worrying about losing all your money? You know, I mean, stuff like that. And you realize that this is fantasy land. And so you come back to the breath and come back to the breath. And you realize that that self-awareness, that present moment is a very real place that you aren't in very much. But it's a place you can go visit. You can spend time there. Pretty much whenever you want to, you can spend time there. What happened to me on this hillside in, in Hawaii is I was sitting on this hillside and I opened my eyes and across this beautiful little valley that I was in, the wind blew through the trees and I watched it. I watched it like a hand reached down and just went through the, the trees and it wasn't blowing on me. I just witnessed that occur and I just got it. What is it? We waste a lot of time trying to describe it, and I can't describe it to you. But I think maybe you might know what I mean. I just got it. What is it? I am powerless, absolutely powerless, and I don't need any power. Looking across that valley, there's the power. There it is. It's over there. See it? You can see it. We all see it. We're just not paying attention. You know, but when you start paying attention, you see it. Can you talk to it and stuff? Well, why not? What could it possibly hurt to try to communicate with it? But wouldn't you like to be there a little more often? You know, mm -hmm. it's so peaceful. It's so loving. It's very quiet. It's very subtle. And we miss it all the time because we're loud and we're talking. and We don't stop. And meditation is stopping. My wife loves guided meditation. Yeah, so that was going to ask you, do you ever do guided meditation? 
the other day I sat with her. She wanted, she found her one that she really likes, you know, it's a, you know, Shambhala singing, you know, the singing voices. And we sat there for five or 10 minutes, you know, and just listened to it. And, and I get it for me personally. I like the quiet and I like hearing the sounds around me. I like to hear the wind in the trees, birds flying around, you know, wind chimes or leaf blowers, you know, I mean, it's like being right where I am. We have a very nice backyard. I like to sit there, but I'll meditate anywhere. You know, I'll just sit and get right where I am, you know, just stop and be right where I am, especially if there's some turmoil, you know? So 10 and 11 are really joined at the hip. The meditative process really helps self-awareness. It really allows you in a very practical way to see the difference between the essence of who you are and your thinking mind, which is who you think you are. And when you can really make that separation, you decide that you want to spend a little bit more time in the in what some people like to call the true self. The joke that I have about that, what if there's no self at all? <laughs> it's like, you know, we want... You know, what if there is no hole in the donut? Maybe there's not even a donut, you know? And and there are these moments where you kind of get that. You can kind of get it, you know? It, it feels like that's true, you know? And you start listening to your heart more than you do your head. You know, your head, I, I, a quick story, a friend of mine, an AA, a really guy I love this guy, and he suffers from OCD, you know? Um, and he has a real problem with it. And he actually goes to OCD Anonymous, right? And he got a therapist to help him deal with the OCD. Now, he's a, quite a successful teacher in school. He's, he's learned to deal with it. And what he tells me, he says, he says, the OCD comes from the amygdala part of the brain, the reptilian part, the old part of the brain, where it's fight, flight or fight, right? And it's sending you messages to watch out, be careful, watch out. And it's overactive. It's overshot the mark, right? Like, did you turn off the stove? Did you turn off the stove? Did you turn off the stove? Did you turn? And you have to go back into the house to see if he's turned off the stove. Classic OCD stuff. And his manifests in a bit of a different way, but it's that kind of thing where it's constantly sending him messages, telling him that he's got to be careful, watch out. You did something wrong. There's something wrong. You got to go back and check constantly. It just never stops. So the therapist will teach him, you don't try and stop it. You just start dialoguing with it. You know, you don't try to push it away. It just makes it stronger. It's like when you try to rid yourself of ego, it likes that attention. It just, you're just feeding the beast. When I say don't work on yourself, you stop working because you're just feeding it. It's just feeding it, giving it more ammunition. So what he tells me what you do is he'd be walking down the street and it's telling me that you said something to that person or whatever, and he'll have dialogue with it. He'll say, I really appreciate the help. I know you're trying to help me, and I really appreciate the input. I wouldn't know what I would do without you, but I'm going to move on with my day now. <laughs> That's great. And he told me that sitting in my backyard, and I just went, we could all use that. <laughs> I get it, right? Me but, too. You know, my head's it's worries about stuff. And when you start becoming aware of the crap that it worries about that isn't there, it's stunning how much consciousness is taken up being worried and concerned about things that you're absolutely powerless over or haven't happened, or maybe it's going to be next year. You know how that manifests itself in me? And I travel a lot when I, cause I speak a lot. Right. And I've never really cared for, you know, I get nervous about traveling. I'm better now, but what'll happen is it's Monday and I've got a flight coming up on Friday. So I start worrying about getting to the airport on time on Monday. Right. <laughs> And I in self awareness, right? I realize they go, what? Why don't I, Bill? What do you say we start worrying about it on Thursday? <laughs> That's it's right. Still early. 
<laughs> right. You know? And it's like, and you have that kind of dialogue. Like, I am not going to go there. I, I don't care what you say to me. I am not going to go. I'm not going to sit here on Monday and worry about Friday. No, no, I refuse to do that. And you don't try and shut it off. You just have dialogue with it. You just look at it and snicker. Here's another quick one, the, the way that manifests itself in a lot of us. When I walk a lot, right, I'm out on the street, I'm walking, you know, and, the, and each little loop that I do takes maybe a half hour, 45 minutes, you know, so I'm out there by myself, you know, sometimes talk to neighbors and stuff, but not often, you know, I'm just walking along. And this thing will start thinking. And what it'll come up with, for some odd reason, it'll come up with something I did when I was a kid or a young man that was an embarrassing thing, some innocuous, embarrassing thing that I did. And it'll start thinking about that. And I can feel the twinge of that, you know, that I go back there in that place. And one time I was walking down and I stopped in my tracks and I just said, what are you doing? (laughs) What is that? (laughs) You know, so what, what do you do with that when that happens? You stare at the asphalt and look right at the asphalt. That's like watching your breath, right? I'm walking along and I'm right here, right? And I just don't go there. Do I muscle it away? No, I just shut it off. And then it might come back and I shut it off again. I just, I'm not going to live in that space. There's nothing I can do about that. And I don't want to think about that. I'm not going to do that. You know, or I'll change course. I'll look at somebody's car and I go, God, I wouldn't drive a car like that. What a piece of shit that is. You know, I mean, anything to, to just get out of that darkness. I have no idea why it does that. You know, does it have a motivation? I don't think it's out to hurt me. I don't think it's trying. God knows it needs me for transportation. <laughs> you know, but whatever, for whatever reason, it goes to these dark places. And I'm not interested in that anymore. That's meditation to me. That's self-awareness. That's what that is. So in that sense, 10 and 11 are really joined at the hip. Mr. Bill, that is a wonderful summary of step 11. Sure, you can see me. I'm taking. Uh, tons of notes while you're speaking. It's part of the upside of doing this podcast is being able to intently listen to people that I respect very much. You know, you and others take some notes, uh, ponder on these things, uh, maybe when I'm going to bed or maybe throughout the week or uh, maybe when I go to a meeting during the week uh, and, and be able to implement these sort of things in my life. And I absolutely love it. So, We now have gotten through at least step 11. At some point, we're going to have to schedule some time and get back to step 12. You know, step 12 could be, who knows? We could break that up. We could have three episodes on that one, really, if we broke it down into the various categories. But will you come back with me at some other point and talk about step 12 in the future? I would love to, John. You're a great guy. I mean, I really love it. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for your uh, referrals to Matthew and Jay, uh, your uh, compadres on the, uh, what do you call it? Kitchen Table AA Talks? Is that what it's called? Yeah. We, man, we've, been, we've, we've gotten back to doing that on Zoom now. You know, we've, the three of us have been doing some more of that. So it's really fun. Okay, my friend. Well, thank you very much. Uh, Once again, we'll get back together real soon, okay? Oh, I forgot to read. I got to do page 164 from the big book, if I can find it here. At the end of page 164, it says, Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. 
admit your faults to him and to your fellows, clear away the wreckage of your past, give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like me and Mr. Bill C., as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, namaste, and thank you so much, Bill. Thank you, John. How about that? Mr. Bill C. once again delivers the goods. I have so, so much enjoyed getting to know Bill C. and being with him and learning from him. And I know all of you have as well. Remember now, we don't want you sharing your gossip or your STD, but do share this episode with another friend or family member and maybe just what they need today. Go ahead and pause that device you're on, click on the share button and Pass it on over to them. Now, on to a little bit of listener feedback. First up here is a review, actually, on Apple Podcast. Did you, did, did my voice just go out there? Am I, like, going through puberty or something here? Anyway, on Apple Podcasts, formerly known as iTunes. And uh, this one is entitled Nothing But Knowledge is what this individual calls it. It says, being new to recovery has been challenging. Learning about alcoholism has truly been eye-opening. Having such a podcast to help me gain knowledge truly has helped me accept that I am truly powerless over alcohol. Along with the big book, this podcast is my meeting between meetings and so much more. Thank you. And it's signed. It's one of these, I guess, logins or whatever. It's always in search GG via Apple podcast. So I don't know an actual name, but whoever you are, if you're listening out there, thank you so much for leaving this review on iTunes. We sure do appreciate ya. Kim M. DMs me on the Instagram and she says, <laughs> Hi, Johnny Cakes. <laughs> That's what she calls me for whatever reason. She says, I, <laughs> I haven't said hi in a while, but I'm re listening to the Jim, Jimmy D episode right now. I have several uh, episodes out there with uh, Mr. Jimmy D. And she says, in your pregame show, <laughs> she's talking about, she calls <laughs> the introduction that I put onto these podcasts my pregame show. <laughs> Oh, I think that's hilarious. He says, you mentioned how much listener feedback fills your tank. Yes, I did. I've said that before. So I felt the need to reach out and say hello and tell you again how much I love your podcast. Oh, you're sweet, Kim. She says, since discovering it last March or April, I have listened to every episode in order exclamation point. Now I'm listening to a lot of them for a second time because I need some sober speak every day. Your show has helped me more than I can even say. 
People in my life have noticed a difference in me. I feel like I am finally learning how to be a decent human being. You and your guests have taught me so much. I am one of the most self-centered, selfish people, but you guys are teaching me how to be better, how to help others, how to think of someone other than myself. So thank you, John M., from the bottom of my heart, a little heart symbol, Kim M. Well, Kim M., that is the kind of thing that fills my tank. And uh, God bless you. Thank you for writing in. Uh, I, I am so happy that you have allowed me and all of the guests that I bring in to be part of your journey. And I'm thankful that you are learning how to be a better human being. God bless you. Morgan writes in and she says, Hi, John. I do a 10. I do 10. I do a 10, or excuse me. I do 10 to 15 mile walks and runs to get back into my old days as a marathon runner. And I've seemingly left behind that I seemingly left behind through my addiction. So I love learning new things and perspectives. Listening to podcasts always serve as a placeholder for me to listen to on three hours working out. I've enjoyed what I've learned thus far. I just ran into your account through Spotify. Laura R's story has a semblance uh, has a, a, a an assemblance a semblance of what I've been through, but torn apart by many trauma, by many different traumatic things and drinking for different reasons. I too am successful in finishing up my MBA. I'm in the last few courses now. Thank you, Morgan R. And uh, she's talking about. Thank you, Morgan. Morgan is uh, listened to Laura R. Uh, I forget what the episode was called, but it was really good. It's something about uh, accidents happen, but God is still there, I think is what it's called. Nonetheless, thanks for writing in, Morgan. Appreciate ya. Dan writes in and he says, Hi, John, I really enjoyed your episode 143 with Rick W. I share a lot of his story. I was hoping that I could possibly get into your Facebook group. And as you know, Dan, we got you that uh, uh, invite out and you are in there. He says, I am coming up on two years sobriety. This past time I got sober about the time that Rick got sober in the late 80s. I stayed sober for seven years, but then went back out again. Dan from Cleveland. Well, I'm glad you're back in, and I'm glad you're on the right path, Mr. Dan. And thank you for writing in. And as you know, I got you uh, over to Miss Rick, Mr. Rick W. Uh, I hope you two are able to uh, connect. Anna Lee writes in, and she says, Hi, John. My name is Anna Lee S., and I have been... Recently listening to Sober Speak podcast. It is one of my favorite AA podcasts. I've been sober since October 18th of 2019 by the grace of God and Alcoholics Anonymous. I almost life, lost my life at 41 years old due to this disease. After years of suicide drinking, that, uh, 
That is a great way to phrase that, Annalise, suicide drinking. I never really thought about it in that way, but you know, I mean, I have thought about alcoholism being a a slow death, which we just go by, you know, bit by bit as opposed to doing it all the time, but I've never heard that phrase, suicide drinking, nonetheless. She says, after years of suicide drinking, I just about did the job when I developed a catastrophic upper GI bleed, which caused me to lose 80% of all my blood. And after eight blood transfusions, five surgeries on my esophagus, and many other medical procedures, I am finally beginning to heal. Please add me to your super secret Facebook page. Thank you, Annalie. Well, Annalie, as you know, I got you out that uh, invite. God bless you. Uh, Man, sounds like you went through the ringer, but I'm glad once again, you are on the right path. Deb writes in and Deb says, hello, John. I'm three weeks in on the path to a sober life. Need all the help and support I can get right now. It's the, the hardest part is learning how to be sober and then happy and content too. Very good observation, Deb. She says, I sure do like your podcast episode and appreciate all you do for us. Well, I appreciate you, Deb. Can you please invite me to your super secret Facebook page? God bless Deb from Alberta, Canada. She is in the great white north. And uh, thank you, Deb, for writing in. And as you know, we got you out that invite. All right, friends and family of... Uh, did I just say friends and family? I've never said that before, but I, maybe it'll stick. Anyway, all right, everybody, keep coming back. It works if you work it. Love you guys. Uh, I take this one week at a time. As you, everyone knows, who the the people who actually listen to the end of this of these episodes <laughs> know I say it. Some probably tune out as soon as I start into listener feedback. You never can tell, but nonetheless. Uh, God bless you. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. I'll take this one week at a time. I think I'll be back next week. Y'all have a good week. Bye-bye now.